Today, we are going to be looking at the, the central issue of being the church, enduring through challenge, not only experiencing the challenge, but enduring through this challenge, and even thriving. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4. This is after Peter and John have gone to the temple and have taught in the temple in the name of Jesus, had healed the crippled man in the front, and now they have been taken aside and arrested by the religious leaders of the temple. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Anna, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me, be clearly, let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber, and they conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. While we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than, than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, 
the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Until recently, the church, not just New Covenant, but the church, large church, large C, especially in the Western world, in North America, the church has becoming more and more comfortable, more cozy, and more focused on caring for themselves. Now, not all of that is bad. I don't want to sound like I'm making a strict condemnation here. But what I find interesting is that that, that was the predominant focus of the church. During this season of the church, the season of cozy comfort, the buildings were considered to be property of the members of the church. The pastor and the staff were considered to be employees of the members of the church to be there for whatever they needed. In a sense, the pastor had become more like the chaplain. And the chaplain was in charge of of taking care of everyone's spiritual needs. Now, that, that may sound like a pastor to you, and it is a role of a pastor, but what this series in Acts is teaching us is that in the early church, it was not limited to just the pastors. And when we think about that church becoming cozy and comfortable, I have a couple of illustrations to perhaps highlight it. And if I am offending anyone, uh, please forgive me, but listen with open ears. So I remember um, coming to church once and noticing um, as we were preparing for an event that all the tables and chairs had been removed from the church. Somebody, one of the members of the church, just came in and borrowed them, which is fine, but um, there was no communication. We weren't aware of it. Uh, we were planning to use those for another event. And um, so... That is perhaps one example of where we saw the church coming to be more of um, an extension of my ownership, my property. And then when I talk about the role of the pastor um, becoming more and more of the role of the chaplain, there was an, this was several years ago now, but there was an experience that I had with a couple that had come to get married at the church. They wanted to set a date and time. and So the first thing I explained to them was that we had a, an a, expectation that couples should go through premarital counseling. The couple got very upset with me, wondering why they would need to go through counseling. They were perfectly fine. And uh, after all, I knew the groom's family. They had been members of the church here for many, many years. So why the expectation of having to go through counseling? They didn't want to do it. They were refusing to do it. Then we got to the point of finding the date. And they had already set the date. And when I looked at my calendar, I realized that that was a vacation time that my family had marked off to be together. And when I shared that, I remember the couple looking directly at me and they, with the assumption, well, obviously, you'll change that. And so 
the expectation being that I would change my vacation time so that I could be present to do the wedding, the marriage service. Now, that may seem a little bizarre, but that is perhaps an indicator of where the church had been moving, where the purpose of the church began to be, how can you take better care of me? Not that we should be taking good care of one another, but it's this expectation of serving yourself first before serving others. Now, we have been confronted with a new challenge. We can't even hold a wedding if you wanted to have one here. <laughs> uh, I have a good friend who's a pastor here in the valley, and uh, we've been friends since high school. And um, he, he was sharing with me, we were together virtually uh, a few weeks ago, that they're, they were getting ready for their son's we wedding. He and his fiance had established a date in early May for their, for their wedding. And he said, Obviously, it's not happening like we had planned. And so what they ended up doing was that they, they postponed the party, the celebration, to a later date, sometime when, in the future when we can all be together again is when they'll have the celebration. But they went ahead and had the marriage service with uh, both the parents present, the bride and the groom's parents, the witnesses. So altogether, there was less than 10 at the wedding. And why that is important is because that couple was forced, they were challenged, what is really essential about the wedding? Is it the party, the celebration, the family and friends being together, or is it uniting this, this marriage in a covenant with God? And so the challenge created an opportunity Today, we as a church are being challenged. But this challenge is going to give us new opportunities, like you've seen with the development of this awesome, beautiful Acts ministry. And as we take a look at these pieces of redevelopment, what we'll see is that today the church is confronting challenges that we never thought we would have to face. Now, we could complain about it. We could say it's not fair. We could pout. We could cry. Say, I want my old church back. But it's not going to come back. It's not going to be here. The old way of doing things, even, even though the facilities won't change, how we interact how we do things will change. So we can begin to embrace the change, to see it as a new opportunity to be the church in a changing world. For instance, I don't see us in the foreseeable future ever having packed worship services. You know, those days of Christmas and Easter services flowing into the overflow area in the back in the narthex area, those days are gone, probably, even into the future. We're going to have to be able to rethink how we do these, these services. And when we are able to gather again for worship, it's going to be changed. 
most likely will be wearing masks, will be at least six feet apart from one another, and heaven forbid, one of David's favorite pieces, passing of the peace, won't happen, even when we're together. But in the meantime, how do we encounter this challenge? In the meantime, we encounter this challenge by streaming our worship services, by looking into our technology, upgrading our technology, trying to find better ways of being able to communicate the Word of God for you. We have the Acts ministry. That will not go away. There are components of that that will continue, and there are parts of it that will actually expand and grow. And that is a powerful, powerful example of how we meet a crisis, how we meet a challenge, and we live into that new challenge with a new opportunity so that we can continue to be the church together. Now, the early church experienced their challenges too. They were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Today's story is one of four, uh, one of three, excuse me, that happened in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, the one for today, Peter and John are imprisoned by the Sanhedrin, the religious council, the religious leaders, for teaching about Jesus in the temple. And the temple saw the apostles, Peter and John and the others, they saw them as a threat. They asked, what have you done? And who gave you the power to do this, this miracle, this healing? Like if something spectacular like that happened, can you imagine being angry and upset about it? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, replies, says back to them, rulers and elders, very respectfully, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, to all the people, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the one who was crucified and raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. I just wrote a little devotional about this this past week. And in that um, quotation, it's from Psalm 118, verse 22. From that quotation, Jesus is the one who says it first in the Gospels when he's talking about the temple because they think he's going to destroy the temple himself. His point is that he's not going to destroy it, but he's prophesying that the temple will be destroyed. But what they don't hear is that he has come to build a new temple. But the new temple will not be built with physical stones and brick and mortar. The new temple will be built spiritually. And who will be the chief cornerstone of that new temple? It will be Jesus. And the, the apostles, Peter and John, are not only proclaiming that, they are demonstrating it. And so that is why the council orders them 
not to speak of Jesus any longer. But I love Peter and John's response. How can we stop from speaking about Jesus, about everything we have heard and seen? How can we stop from singing? How can we stop from speaking? How can we stop from being the church? When we have such a great and powerful Lord. Let's hear a song about that and then I'll finish up.
conclude, I want to take a look at what happened when the church faced these challenges. And then from that, take away what we as the church today can learn from their responses. The first thing is what happened in the face of this challenge is that the, the fear and the powerlessness of these religious leaders was revealed. In his response, Peter is allowed to repeat the name of Jesus in his argument against the corrupt temple. See, Jesus wasn't, wasn't against the people of Israel. He was one of the people of Israel. Jesus was fighting against the corruption of the temple, and that is why he said the temple would not stand. And now Peter in the temple is able to repeat Jesus' argument. The Sanhedrin, you see, is more concerned about their power than anything else. They're not even concerned about the theological implications of Peter's sermon. There is not one thing that is asked about the healing, about Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Nothing is addressed theologically. It's all about power. Stop it. Stop speaking the name of Jesus is what they told him. And because of that, these religious leaders are revealed as spiritually empty, which is ironic because the people are being filled and filled with God more and more. As the people listen to Peter and John, they become more connected to God. It says at the end of our reading that there are 5,000 men who are now followers of this sect of Judaism called the Way. And so the church, the church of that time met the challenge by speaking Jesus, by being focused on Jesus and on Jesus alone. The second thing that they did is they continued to speak and heal in the name of Jesus, whether they were in prison or not. In, in prison they spoke of him, and out of prison they spoke of him. The more they were challenged, the more they spoke of Jesus, the more they healed people in his name. And the third thing that we learned from this is that the church also adapted. This is the first of, of three persecutions that occur in the, the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And eventually, the people, many of the people of the followers of the way, the early Christian sect of Judaism, um, many of these people will be dispersed out of the city. And because of that, they adapt. 
And so Christianity then moves into places uh, that it, it had never been before. So how do these actions inform us as we face these new challenges in the coming year or two? The first thing that we learn that the apostles teach us is to keep focused on Jesus. The first thing that I would say in our context today in, in relationship to that is that we can't keep focused on Jesus if we're going to be divided. So let me say this. The virus is the enemy. Not our brothers and sisters of a different political stripe. Not our brothers and sisters of a different skin color. These are not the enemies. The virus is the enemy. And we are called to be the church with one another. If that is difficult for you to do, let me suggest that perhaps you might want to stop watching so much news. As we adapt and change, we will need to be more and more focused on our identity as Christian than any other identity. And most of all, we are in this together. We need each other, and we need Jesus. The first one, virus is not the enemy. The second point that we can learn from this is prayer. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come into everything that we do and into who we are, into our identities. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter is able to preach that sermon in the midst of the Sanhedrin Council. And so, as we take a look at that, we are reminded of the importance of prayer for the power of God to give us strength. We are in the process of redeveloping our prayer and healing ministry. And so again, I invite you to join me and others if you would like to be a part of this ministry. So the first, the virus is the enemy. The second is the need for prayer. The third is the need for continued worship, even though we cannot publicly gather together yet. We need to continue to worship God in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, online, at some point in the future in public, as small groups, but also as families and as spiritual families. We will need to continue to be together in our worship. And then the fourth. The fourth thing that I think we can learn from this story today is adaptation. We need to be able to adapt to the new environment. For instance, we will continue to introduce new technology as we are able. We are grateful for a couple of gifts that we have been given that will enable us to add a camera that we'll be able to add some more um, microphones. And so we are, we are thankful that we are looking into those aspects of new technology, but we will need to adapt, not just technologically, but also personally. We'll have to figure out new ways of being the church together, 
but also with connecting. Those who are in greatest harm of this virus, we will need to protect. And we will need to find ways that we continue, can continue to be the church doing the mission of the church. So the fourth thing that I want us to remember is adaptation. Now in conclusion, I, I don't want you to despair because of the challenges. I don't want you to lose heart. God is present. Even, when, even in those days that we can't feel God, God is present. And God's promises continue. Like we sang in that opening hymn, Children of the Heavenly Father, nothing can ever sever us from those promises that we have from God through Jesus Christ. So as the old church passes away, just remember that a new church is being born. And it is a challenging time, but it is a great time to be the church. So please be the church with us. Amen.